This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. 620 CKRM is proud to be your voice for everything ag. Welcome to SaskAg Today with your host, Ryan Young. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to SaskAg Today. It's brought to you by Milligan Bio, the leading buyer of heated and damaged canola in Saskatchewan, wants to buy your seed. Visit MilliganBio.com. And brought to you by the Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in Arcola. Today, uh, canola and wheat futures are on the decline again this week. Chief uh, Chief economist with the USDA says this year could be full of falling prices and tight margins for U.S. producers. And we'll follow up with Carol Harrison, a dietitian, about the benefits of protein nutrition. The farm weather is in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. First up on Sask Ag today, right after the break, is Adam Picallo as he breaks down how the canola and wheat futures did for this week. This is Sask Ag today with 620 CKRM Ag News Director Ryan Young. Sask Ag today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain, your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection, and Farm Fresh Water. To fix your water problems, visit farmfreshwater.ca. The March canola contract continues to tumble. That's the obvious observation from Adam Bacallo, future commodity advisor with PI Financial. The trend has definitely continued for the March contract on canola, still lower. Uh, we're down approximately $10 a ton on the week, uh, where the futures currently sit at 577 And uh, we would actually be down a lot more potentially on the week. Today, we're, actually, we're up about $9 a ton uh, as we're talking here right now. So the contract does expire here in the next week and a half uh, and Monday is a holiday in US and Canada so markets will be closed so there might be some positioning ahead kind of uh, before the long weekend potentially yeah it def- that definitely again the trend I would say is lower uh, the the soy markets still continue lower it seems like uh, the bearish hangover remains in place from the outlook forums uh, large 2024 2025 ending crops estimate for beans uh, which is the highest since 2019 season and more than 35 percent above 2023 2024 so uh, notably that actually that outlook forum carryout uh, has been above the final crop year carryout in 12 of the last 16 years. Um, but really, new crop beans kind of led the break uh, this week here as the USDA's acreage number came in, uh, about 3.9 million acres above last year. So uh, that could be a bit, again, bearish for on the canola side if uh, kind of the soybean market wants to kind of keep heading lower. The March Minneapolis wheat contract was also down this week. We talk a little bit about wheat here. We're down approximately 25 cents a bushel on the wheat uh, March Minneapolis contract. Uh, there has been uh, kind of rising Russian wheat crop estimates and, and really mostly favorable weather in wheat areas around the globe has, I think, really encouraged kind of still the downward trend here. Um, 
you know, again, prices are struggling under the weight of kind of the Russian wheat crop estimates. Um, and winter, U.S. winter wheat uh, is under drought, topped to about 12% this week compared to 57% uh, under drought a year ago. So again, crop conditions are, are fairly good that way as well, too. Uh, talking about the outlook forum, too, uh, you know, it's, it was bearish for wheat as well with uh, potential U.S. ending stocks, the highest since the 2020 season. So again, maybe a bit more of a, a bearish factor for, for the wheat markets as well. Piccolo was asked if he foresees anything that could turn the canola and wheat futures around or if we have to ride it out. Good question. You know, some clients have been asking whether they should maybe look at selling their canola and replacing it. So some have been doing that. Others have said that, you know, they're just holding it in the bin. Um, But the one common theme that I've heard across all uh, people I talk to is that there's still a lot of canola in the bin. And one would have to think that's eventually going to come to market. And again, next crop year is coming up again too. So, uh, you know, that's where farmers, I think, need to kind of look at, uh, you know, their their bin space, their, their profitable levels, and kind of work out some of the math from there. The current trend of canola and wheat is one thing Piccolo will keep an eye on next week. And short term as well, too, again, with the March contracts expiring in the next little bit, we might see some more volatility kind of over the next uh, couple weeks until until March. Adam Piccolo is a future commodity advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. You're listening to Sask Ag Today on 620 CKRM. After the break, we'll continue our talk on markets as we'll hear from the USDA's perspective as a chief economist uh, spoke to the Ag Outlook Forum about what is possibly going to happen for this year. We're back with Sask Ag Today with Ryan Young on 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the program. U.S. grain producers are being told to prepare for a year of falling prices and tight margins. That was the message from Seth Meyer, the chief economist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Meyer told the USDA's 100th Agricultural Outlook Forum that corn prices are forecast to drop 8.3%, soybeans 11.5%, and wheat nearly 17%. Maybe that prices support soybeans a little bit more than corn, so maybe we move a little bit of area back into soybeans. Corn prices moving a little bit lower as well. Sorghum area is largely unchanged. Wheat, after responding to the global demand for wheat because of action in the Black Sea, farmers saying, okay, we'll move out of wheat, we responded. While prices are expected to fall, most farm expenses will not. We had some thought that maybe we'll see a little bit of easing of interest rates over time, but for many of the other lines in a crop budget, they tend to move and be sticky when commodity prices fall. Input prices for maybe things other than fertilizer, fuel oil, things like repairing your vehicle or your tractor, other things involved in the supply chain, those prices not coming down. The USDA is forecasting farmers will plant 91 million acres of corn this spring, down 3.6 million. Soybean area is forecast to grow by 3.9 million to 87.5 million acres. U.S. wheat area is being estimated at 47 million acres in 2024, down 2.6 million from last year. The big competition for corn and soybean export markets will continue to come from South America. The three largest producers, Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay, 
grew more than 200 million tons of soybeans last year, more than double the amount 25 years ago. Export competition is only likely to grow. We need to be both export competitive and have a domestic market where we can sell our goods into. And as many different ways we can sell it, whether that's traditional grain sales or whether that's a bioeconomy product, we need to have markets domestically as well, too, in order to do that. On the demand side, China is cutting back on its soybean purchases. Who's going to pick up that demand as we get an additional 6 million metric tons a year from Brazil, 2 million metric tons from Argentina? They're going to continue to grow. We have a challenge here in terms of how are we going to meet export demand. U.S. soybean producers are relying more on the domestic market, which has been booming due to renewable diesel demand. However, Meyer points out that soybean's share of the biodiesel renewable diesel feedstock is falling due to huge imports of products such as canola oil, used cooking oil, and tallow. U.S. farm income hit a high in 2022 before dropping off 26% last year. A panel of three financial experts is predicting another downturn in U.S. farm income this year. However, at this point, a lot of American farmers are still in a good financial position. Nate Kaufman is the senior vice president at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Much of this has to do with storing up working capital during these past couple of years when incomes were very strong. Some of this had to do with government payments going back to 2020 and 2021. We interact a lot with bankers and other lenders, and in some of our conversations with bankers last year, we would have banks tell us that they actually do not have any borrowers on a watch list. That's not common to have no borrowers on a watch list as it relates to potential risk. Kaufman says if U.S. farm income declines in the next two years, the U.S. agriculture sector will be in a situation like 2016 through 2019. Up next on the program, we'll have Ag Review with Doug Falconer as he'll take us through the latest ag headlines. You're tuned in to Saskag Today on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Today's Ag Review with Doug Falconer of GX94 is brought to you by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell, your locally owned Integra Tire dealers, and Migrain Exchange. Ready to market your 2023 crop? Head over to MigraineExchange.com and try their low-risk grain auctions. A new report suggests manual labor and long hours may be less of a deterrent to farm workers than farmers think. The Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council says workers tend to point to low pay and limited career growth as the main reasons they are less interested in agriculture jobs. The report, released yesterday, quantifies the current agricultural labour deficit drawing heavily on surveys done with employers and employees in 2023. The report notes that worker turnover is at a record high. In 2022, the voluntary turnover rate of agriculture jobs was 14%, up from 10% in 2018. When asked what factors limited their interest in agriculture, more than half of employees said low wages and benefits. Limited career paths or opportunities for advancement came second, followed by low job security. Meanwhile, that new report says by 2030, Canada's agriculture industry will have a domestic labour gap of more than 100,000 jobs. The report says the forecast represents a 15% increase compared with the number of jobs in 2023 that couldn't be filled by Canadian residents. The Council says that this growing gap is due in part to Canada's ageing population. 
More than 30% of the agriculture workforce is expected to retire over the same period. The report says temporary foreign workers will play an important role in narrowing the gap, with about four in five of those 100,000 jobs to be filled by a foreign worker. However, it says that even with a projected increase in temporary foreign workers by 2030, 22,000 positions will still remain vacant. The biofuels industry could drive canola demand into unheard of territory in the coming decade, according to one industry expert, Chris Vervate, the executive director of the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association, says the capacity of crush could grow from 11.3 million metric tons today to 18 million tons in three or four years. Vervate was among the speakers at this year's Crop Connect conference in Winnipeg Wednesday. His talk focused on the impact of renewable fuels on the canola value chain. Roughly 2.5 million metric tons of canola seed equivalent stocks are currently used for biofuel markets in Canada, the U.S. and the EU. Vervate says it could grow to 5 million by 2026 and could reach as high as 8 million by 2030. To meet that demand, seven new Canadian facilities have been announced over the last three years to bolster renewable diesel production capacity. Yields for United States soybeans, corn and wheat were projected to increase in 2024-25, according to the Department of Agriculture, at its 100th annual Outlook Forum yesterday. Also, the USDA said there's to be more soybean acres, but less for corn and wheat for the coming crop year. Markets farm analyst Bruce Burnett says yields are the big driver of this whole thing. The initial projections from the USDA were based on economic models, past data, weather patterns, and essentially the department's best estimate. The USDA is scheduled to issue its farmer survey-based projections for 2024-25 at the end of March. Burnett believes the overall effect of the Outlook Forms report was bearish. A new report says British Columbia's wine industry is anticipating catastrophic crop losses of up to 99% of typical grape production due to January's intense cold snap. A February report from wine growers British Columbia and consulting firm Cascadia Partners says preliminary industry estimates are calling for crops to produce only 1-3% to of typical yields for wine grapes, mostly coming from relatively mild Fraser Valley and Vancouver Island. The resulting loss in grape and wine production, described by the report as an almost complete write-off of the 2024 vintage, is expected to trigger revenue losses of up to $346 million for vineyards and wineries. The report says the Arctic intrusion that struck the province in January plunged temperatures well below minus 20 degrees Celsius across the Okanagan Valley, where 86% of BC's vineyard acreage is located. And that's today's Ag Review. I'm Doug Falk. It's your Saskag Today weather on your voice of Saskatchewan. 620 CKRM. The official 620 CKRM Farm Precision Weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina. Specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan, call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair, 
Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. I'm here with Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, what's the forecast looking like for today and for this weekend? Well, pretty quiet weather, pretty, we'll say, overall average weather. Uh, still, the wind is up this afternoon. It's been in the 20 to 30 range. could even go up to 35 as the day goes on. And that's causing some areas of blowing snow. Nice falling. We're going to see uh, just a, a few clouds mixing up with the sunshine, but it looks occasionally like it's snowing with the blowing. Uh, but that is just going to be reducing visibility. It's not going to cause any weather concerns. The wind chill is certainly a concern because even though we're up to uh, up through the minus teens coming out of the morning, the wind chill is still in the minus 20s. The daytime high today is minus 7, and that will um, bring the wind chill into the minus teens at least. But the wind stays strong tonight. It's at its strongest, actually, during the middle part of the night tonight. We rise, though, overnight down to minus 12 early and rising to minus 4 by morning. Pretty close to freezing tomorrow. We'll be up to minus 1, a mostly sunny sky. The wind in the morning is still strong, 20 to 35, even a few gusts to 50. And then through the uh, course of the afternoon, the wind will drop off. Much calmer wind for Saturday night. Clear sky, though. Sunday, uh, Saturday is a sunny day. Saturday night is clear. Sunday is a sunny day. We back off to minus 4. And su- uh, Monday, we're at minus 4 as well. Tuesday, a little more cloudiness rolls in. Chance for a couple of flurries behind near minus 4. Looking uh, toward the end of the week, though, temperatures will be heading up. We could be uh, flirting with a freezing mark in uh, for the uh, second half of the week. Thank you very much, Phil. Normal highs for this time of year, minus 7 degrees. Normal lows, minus 18 Sun rose in Regina at 8.08 this morning, and the sun will set at 6.18 later today. Taking a look around the province in Assiniboia, Swift Current, minus 13, minus 11 in Estevan, Mooseman, and Saskatoon, as well as Weyburn. Yorkton and Melville are at minus 10 degrees. The warm spot in the province is a tie between Prince Albert and Loon Lake at minus 5.2. Cold spot is in East End at minus 18.1 degrees. In Regina, cloudy sky. Winds from the west at 30 to 40 kilometers an hour. Humidity 73%. The temperature at minus 12 degrees or 10 Fahrenheit. And the barometric pressure is at 103.3 and falling. In Moose Jaw, some drifting snow. West wind at 37 kilometers an hour. And the temperature minus 11. Again in Regina, cloudy. West wind at 30 to 40 kilometers an hour, and the temperature minus 12 degrees. Back in a moment. Catch up with all your ag news anytime at saskagtoday.com. Now, back to Saskag Today with Ryan Young on 620 CKRM. This portion of Saskag Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers, where you're guaranteed the best buying and selling experience. McDougalAuction.com and Pattison Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Pattison Liquid Systems, expect the best. Many beef cattle operations are either well into calving season or gearing up for its approach. The Beef Cattle Research Council is helping producers prepare for this season by providing information about spotting and treating dehydration in young calves. Dehydration is a serious side effect of neonatal diarrhea or scours. Dr. Elizabeth Homorowski, a veterinarian with Veterinary Agri-Health Services, explains the various effects dehydration can have on young calves. 
Many of our calves that are experiencing neonatal calf diarrhea or scours, they don't actually die from the viruses or the bacteria, the protozoa that, that cause scours. They die from the resulting dehydration, electrolyte balances, and in some cases, acidosis. That calf will appear clinically normal until they're about 6% dehydrated. Dr. Homorowski says there are a couple of simple on-farm tests that can help a beef producer gauge how dehydrated a sick calf may be. Once that calf becomes dehydrated, the eyeball might start to recess back into the head. Another clinical test that we use frequently is a skin tint test. So you can pinch the skin right over the neck area, make a tint, and then measure the amount of seconds it takes for that skin to return to normal. So based on these two parameters, you can estimate the percent dehydration. According to Dr. Homorowski, moderately dehydrated calves can successfully be treated on-farm using oral electrolyte products, but it's also important to know when to call the vet. A moderately dehydrated calf we would consider in that 8 to 10% range. These calves are starting to become clinically depressed. They're spending a lot more time lying down. They have a prolonged skin tint test. Their eyeball is recessed more. And so we really need to maintain oral fluids quite frequently throughout the day in order to keep them hydrated. After those calves become about 10% dehydrated, these are calves that we consider severely dehydrated. At that point, it's important to involve your veterinarian. Dr. Homorowski says the best treatment is always prevention. Most of these scours outbreaks can actually be prevented by working with your veterinarian on nutrition, uh, strategic calving pasture management, and other disease mitigation strategies. You can find how-to videos and more free calving resources at beefresearch.ca slash calf. 911. We'll take a quick break. Sask Egg today will return right after these messages. You're tuned in to Sask Egg today on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. This segment of Sask Egg today is brought to you by Diggleman Industries. Look to Diggleman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. And Arcola Building Supplies, small town lumberyard, big on service. ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com We are back with Carol Harrison, a nationally known registered dietitian. On yesterday's show, she talked about how protein is an important building block in a person's diet, whether it be animal-based or plant-based. She addresses concerns about the amount of saturated fat in some meats. That evidence came out in the 1950s, and it was always weak evidence. And more recently, there has been a decade of really solid, big studies. I'm talking global studies, including like half a million people that are followed for 12 years, those um, solid methodological studies. And what they're concluding is that saturated fat is really not connected with cardiovascular disease or even mortality, period. Uh, Canadians are eating about the same amount of saturated fat as what is recommended by the WHO, the World Health Organization. That's about 10% of our calories coming from saturated fat. They say, don't exceed it. We're sitting right about there. And if you wonder where we're getting most of the saturated fat from our diet, you might think it's meat, but it's actually ultra-processed foods. So these are foods that are not nutrient-rich anyway. So whether you sit on one side of the fence or the other, I would say focus on cutting back on those foods that are not providing a lot of good nutritional value in your diet like the baked goods, like the fast foods, the prepared foods, 
and cut back there as opposed to cutting out or cutting back on a naturally nutrient-rich food like meats. The price of meat has been rising and it's noticeable on the grocery bill. Harrison says there are ways to stretch the food dollar further while still eating meat. Meats are, yes, a little bit more expensive. Let's be honest, they're the more expensive item at the grocery store, but they're also one of the most nutritious. So I always encourage people to look at the foods that they're buying. Again, can you cut back on those sweetened cereals, pop chips and candies, um, sweetened baked goods to make a little bit more room for naturally nutrient-rich foods? Can you also blend and extend? And I know that the Canadian Food Focus website's got some great resources and recipes on that. What do I mean by that? Well, that's taking your ground beef and adding things like mushrooms or maybe even grated carrots or beans or lentils so that you're making that meat go farther. So you could imagine making tacos that have got some ground beef and some lentils in it, or maybe a soup that has got a lot of vegetables and just enough meat to get the amount of protein that you need. Meat is very, very nutritious. You don't need a huge portion to get absolutely good nutrition. About the size of a deck of cards or the palm of your hand is typically okay for most people. Carol Harrison is a nationally known registered dietitian. Her comments come from the Food Focus monthly podcast. Coming up next on the program is today's market update. Saskag Today will return right after this. Here's the market update with Ryan Young on 620 CKRM. Grain prices at Viterra were mixed in early trading today. Durham is down $7.34 at 404.63. Canola is up $4.80 to 537.12. And number one red spring wheat is down 38 cents at 298.98. The rest were unchanged. Feed barley 227.58. Chickpeas 1168.44. Flax 606.04. Lentils 756.50. Oats 295.32, yellow peas 419.61, and feed wheat 238.46. On the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, hard red spring wheat for March is down a quarter of a cent at $6.57.75 a bushel. Up next is the Livestock Report. The Saskag Today Livestock Reports on your voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn Livestock, 842-4574. Now, here are the latest quotes. Good afternoon, this is Travis Blackheart on Livestock Moose This past Tuesday, we had our all-breed calf and yearling pre-sort with 1,700 heads showing up, and here's how it went. 53 red and black steers weighing 451, that brought 477. 103 red and black steers weighing 588, that brought 417.75. 31 black steers at 645 that brought 387.75. 19 tan steers weighing 704 that brought 367. And 37 black steers weighing 762 that brought 341. On to the heifers. 87 red and black heifers weighing 449 that brought 41475. 37 tan and white heifers that brought that weighed 524 brought 38975. 53 tan heifers weighing 587, that brought 365. And 22 black heifers weighing 679, that brought 325.50. Nine red heifers at 753, that brought 310.50. On the Thursday's regular cow and bull sale with close to over 400 heads showing up, and here's how it went. Them good cows were $1.45 to $1.55, with sales up to $1.63. Them medium cows were $1.20 to $1.45, and them counter cows were $0.90 cents to $1.10. The heiferettes were 210 to 240 
the good open feeder heifers were a dollar fifty five to a dollar seventy, and then good bulls were a dollar forty to a dollar fifty, with sales up to a dollar sixty one. That's the update for the week. If you have any marketing needs or are looking to book in, don't be afraid to give us a call at six nine two two three eight five. This is Travis Platt reporting from Heartland Livestock Moose Show. Good day and good selling. The latest pork prices are at $184.65 per CKG. Coming up, the Resource Report. It's the Saskatch Today Resource Reports on 620 CKRM. Here's Ryan Young. Statistics Canada says wholesale sales, excluding petroleum, petroleum products, and other hydrocarbons, and excluding oil, seed, and grain, rose 0.3% to $82.9 billion in December. The agency says the overall increase came as the personal and household goods subsector saw its largest increase of the year as it rose 4.1% to $12.1 billion in December. The food, beverage, and tobacco subsector also rose 1.9% to $15.1 billion in December. Meanwhile, sales in the motor vehicle and motor vehicle parts and accessories subsector fell 2.2% to $14.5 billion. In volume terms, wholesale sales excluding petroleum, petroleum products, and other hydrocarbons and excluding oilseed and grain rose 0.2% in December. Stats Canada began including oil, seed, and grain industry group, as well as the petroleum and petroleum product subsector as part of wholesale trade earlier this year, but is excluding the data from its monthly analysis until historical data are available for proper monthly and annual analysis. On the markets, the TSX is up 94 points at 21,316. The Dow is down 27 points to 38,745. Oil is up 60 cents at $78.19 per barrel, and the Canadian dollar is at 74.20 cents U.S. And that's the Resource Report. If you missed any segment of the show, you can tune in to the on-demand Sask Ag Today podcast, brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. And that's going to do it for Friday's edition of SaskAg Today. I'm Ryan Young. Have a nice day and a nice long weekend. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide.